From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 384, Desired State Configuration Update with guest Jeffrey Snover. Recorded Tuesday, August 26, 2014. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. We're back. We're doing the thing like we do every Wednesday, and I have a very special guest on. It's Jeffrey Snover. He's been here before. He's a distinguished engineer at Microsoft and a lead architect for the Windows Server and System Center division. He's the inventor of Windows PowerShell, an object-based distributed automation engine, scripting language, and the command shell. He's been with Microsoft since 1999 as a divisional architect for the Management and Services division and provides technical direction across Microsoft's management technologies and products. Welcome back, sir. How you doing? I'm I'm well. And you know, I'm I'm having real good old fashioned IT battles. I had a UPS blow up, you know. I I feel good because it's it's real work and you know, it's so much time spent behind the microphone and, and in consulting. It's nice to actually get your fingernails dirty and spin some screwdrivers. Isn't it? Yeah. You know, I it's IT pros are like managers. I, I tell people, you know, we'll have a particularly bad day and I'll say, just remember, they pay us to solve problems. Business is brisk. Yes, business is brisk. With a hilarious part, of course, this is my home setup, and I'm flying out tomorrow morning for five days. So I'm grateful that it failed about 12 hours before I left town, rather than failing 12 hours after I left town. There you go. So, you know, small blessings. (laughs) You have been very busy. I like the DevOps direction that Microsoft is taking. You like that? Yeah, it's exciting, you know, but there's a lot of moving parts going on. I mean, DSC is only one piece of the equation. What are you focused on? Um, DSC. DSC, (laughs) some security stuff. Um, Yeah, those are the two big things I'm focused on these days. Well, when we talked about DSC a year ago, it was brand new. Now, I mean, a new version of the OS is out. We've had some good things happen. Uh, So we got some maturity going on. Yeah, and so we what we did was we, uh, you know, for those guys not familiar, DSC stands for PowerShell Desired State Configuration. And the idea there is that you declare the way you want the system, and you hand that off to the system, and then the system makes it so. Right. And so we like to talk about the Jean-Luc Picard, you know, make it so model. He just says, I want the world this way, and then it's somebody else's job to make it that way, or tell them when it can't be. And it's really just a, a transformational way to configure your servers. I mean, it's just it's just wonderful. And so, indeed, uh, it's very popular in the DevOps community. And so then we've adopted a very much of an agile approach to the delivery of desired state configuration. So this started with, if you recall, um, folks who've been with us a while, uh, the resource kit, right? The resource kit was around for a while, and then it went away. Yeah. We've brought back the resource kit. So now we've got the desired state configuration resource kit. And since we released uh, 2012 R2, we are now on the sixth release of the DSC resource kit. Wow. Already in a year, sixth release. 
Yeah, actually since December, less than a year. It started uh, December 26th of last year. Uh, that's right. We don't take breaks, man. We just work. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the the whole place is moving so rapidly. It, it, it almost doesn't surprise me that you're, you're constantly tweaking and tuning. Exactly. And then we release these things. And so what's been so wonderful is, um, you know, we put an X in front of these resources to kind of ex- make the SLA very clear. These are experimental, which means they will break. They will, you know, we will have breaking changes. Uh, and so well, it doesn't work for everyone. But we've got a group of people who are very aggressive in adopting latest versions of the technology. Mm-hmm. They're able to adopt that and say, oh, you know, this doesn't work the way I want. Or how about if we did it this way? And then we can respond to that. And so we're constantly adding new things and then going back and modifying the old things, responding to customers. So that's what excites me the most is that we're able to, you know, we're getting on a footing where we can engage the people um, who can accept that service level agreement of being much more agile and and fluid um, and then really get the software right. And so it's not just uh, limited to the, the resources themselves. We have the Windows Management Framework. Now, here, again, a big shift in, in focus. In the past, what we did was we'd release, you know, develop all this fantastic management innovation. We'd put it into Windows, and then we would release what was called the Windows Management Framework. This was a set of the management technologies available for down-level versions. Now, what we're doing, to be more agile, is we're releasing the Windows Management Framework um, as as soon as we got new management technologies, we're putting it in that and releasing it on the latest version of the OS. Uh, and so I forget which version we're on now, but we're, we, as the time this will be uh, published, we will have the latest version, the Windows Management Framework September version, and there's just a ton of new great stuff in there that people can then go and use and, again, tell us uh, whether it works for them or not. And then what we'll do is we'll take all that and we'll put it into the next major release of the OS and then make it available down level as well. And, uh, you know, this is, this is great stuff. And we're very clear about identifying when it's an experimental version or whether it's a version that you can kind of count on and, and take advantage of. Right. I think the Framework 5 preview is back in May. And that yes. was sort of a bundle of a bunch of PowerShell extensions, DSC, and uh, a bunch of other good stuff. Yep. A whole and bunch of commandlets, uh, mostly. Companies like Stack Overflow, they're running it on their production servers. Those guys, they're brave, you know? They're they willing are. to go for it all the time. Well, and they, they tell us what works, what tells us what doesn't work, and so guess what? They're getting a system that meets their needs. Nice. So, and and let's face it, they push a lot of traffic through Stack Overflow Rig. Those guys are really efficient. It's, it's busy, busy gear. If you're going to find a weak spot, you're going to find it there. Exactly correct. That's why they're such a great partner. So is this the right way to go to just go get the framework, like that bundle? Because it seems like it's got a lot of important pieces that kind of go together. Yep, it is. All right. So the PowerShell, the integrated scripting environment, desired state configuration, the bunch of network switch commandlets, one get? 
Yes. So one get is uh, if you're a Unix guy, it's uh, our equivalent of apt-get. So in the Unix community, you're always able to sit down on a machine and say, here's what I need, and, and then it appears. And how does that work? And the answer is that there are these code repositories out there that people, the community, has taken software, they packaged it up, put it in these repositories, and then there's a protocol that, uh, you know, a utility that is works across the network to find and bring these down. <clears throat> and so that's what we're doing with OneGet. And the idea about OneGet is, it turns out there are multiple package managers and multiple protocols out there. Sure. OneGet will be a uniform set of commandlets and APIs and WMI providers that will allow you to get at any of them. So you'll be able to find things, uh, be able to download them, be able to install them, be able to update them, uh, inventory your systems. Really wonderful stuff. So this reminds me of NuGet over on the web developer side. Well, it's in fact layered on top of NuGet. So the way this works is everybody's kind of moving to this model. Yes. And then the protocol... Largely, we're standardizing on NuGet, but then you'll have different repositories based upon the curation service level agreement um, and the persona IT. Mm -hmm. So the NuGet community is very, the NuGet repositories, they're very, very passionate that those stay developer-oriented code repositories. Right. OneGet is very much more focused in on IT Pro repositories. So you get the latest version of, of uh, various runtimes, uh, browsers, sysinternal tools, things like that. Right. And then there's PowerShell Get. Now, PowerShell Get, now, OneGet is layered on top of NuGet. Yeah. PowerShell Get is layered on top of OneGet. Okay. Okay. And it is just a, uh, 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 it's focused in on PowerShell repositories. So desired state configuration documents, scripts, things like that. So this, uh, yeah, just the stuff that's related to PowerGet, so, which is a subset of everything that we I'd care about as an IT guy from OneGet. Exactly. And the benefit is that, you know, you get a, a little bit more, uh, a fewer steps in the process. You know, you when you do a find module, mm -hmm. you see PowerShell stuff. One get, it's find package. And there you'll see a, a lot more variety of things. And then when you install something, install module, uh, we find the package, we bring it down, and then we'll put it in your PowerShell path like we know what you're trying to do. And so we'll do that for you. So it allows us to give you a, a more custom experience. And also, of course, it allows you to publish to the repositories as well. So really nice stuff. Um, I mean, there's a bunch of communities out there for various PowerShell scripts and things, but do you see PowerShell get as a place to put scripts as well? Yeah, absolutely. The, you know, basically what'll happen is you'll have a small set of, of uh, repositories mm -hmm. that people will then contribute to. And right now we have one, it's, it's by invitation only, uh, as we monitor, make sure that we get it right. If there's anything that needs to get changed, I can reach out to the people who need to change it. Uh, but pretty quickly, I think you'll see we'll make it open and anybody can contribute anything. Now, there's one big caveat in all of this, mm -hmm. and that is these are community repositories. Like OneGet, um, I download uh, the sysinternal tools, and I said, oh, well, 
you know, Mark Rasinovich, did, did you put your stuff there? And he said, no, I didn't put my stuff there. <laughs> so the answer is somebody else did. Right. And maybe it's Mark's tools and maybe it's Mark's tools plus something else. So, you know, you gotta, it's, it's, you know, buyer beware with these community repositories. And that's why the best practices for, for enterprises and, and, people businesses is they'll set up their own repositories and then what they'll do is they'll go grab some stuff from those public repositories and then they'll vet it hey is this the real stuff is this the right thing and then they'll put it in their repositories and then tell everyone yeah don't use the public ones use ours right it, it makes a lot of sense for an organization to have their own repository and it sounds like something that i can I'll, I'll spread out to a bunch of different things uh you know, we just had a conversation there earlier about box starter and it's just this ability to organize a bunch of stuff for setting up a machine quickly. And, and this just falls right into that same pattern. Oh, I'll tell you, it is transformational. It's just wonderful. You set up this desired state configuration. Here's the roles that I want. And here's the additional third party packages I want and the uh, PowerShell scripts that I want and the configuration of IAS and my security settings. And it's just this document. And you say, give me one of those. And it goes off and then you log in and it's exactly what you want. Right. And then if it's not, you say, oh, you know what? I forgot. You know, I like to include this extra browser for compatibility testing. You just go into the document and say, add that and then make it so brings it down but then the next time you do it it brings it makes it available what i what i like about these documents is they're live like everybody has a word doc of the list of stuff but it can be wrong it's not what you actually do when you have these documents that, that exercise something like one get or new get like this is literally a script you run that does the work so obviously it's right or you fix exactly. the script yeah, or and it tells you if if it can't make it right. Yeah. So I don't know if you've seen, but uh, a couple of weeks ago we released uh, desired state configuration integration with Azure. Nice. Did you see that? I did not. Yeah. So here's the deal. So uh, you go and you start up a VM instance, and you can say uh, when you start up that instance, here's the desired state configuration script that I would like to run when I bring that up. And so you go and you develop your desired state configuration script, hand it to Azure, and then when it brings up the VM, it comes up exactly the way you want. Yeah, now we don't, the whole thing here is not keeping a copy of your VM around, that you always keep a copy of the script to create the VM on demand. Exactly. So you know it's right, you know it's clean, you can deal with upgrades, you control the versions on everything, like, and it's way smaller. No script is anywhere near the size of a VM. Right. So is that the cornerstone of this whole thing? Just it, this is a way to exercise these tools to create VMs on demand? Yeah. Well, and just highly repeatable processes. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I, I keep going back to the Taguchi method. You know, so I grew up in the industry when the quality industry was the quality revolution was coming about and uh, it came out of Japan and, and there was lots of various techniques. Well, one of them was called the Taguchi method and I think it came out of Toyota and basically what he said was the number one most important uh, factor in quality is consistency. Right. If you can do things consistent, even if it's bad, do them consistent because then what you can do is you can introduce a change into the system and you can measure whether things get better or worse. And if they get worse, don't do that change. Right. And if they get better, keep that change and then do it again 
and again and again and again. And so that's that's the real point here is with automation in general, but then especially for desired state configuration is you automate things and then you can change them and then see if it gets better and just you know go through rapid iterations to give you exactly what you need. Well, and it just like the uh, attitude of never you never build up cruft in a server because you can generate them new at any time. Everything exactly. that is real is what's actually in the script. You tear it down, yep. you build it again, you know exactly where it's at. Yep, exactly. Yeah, and so this latest release, we got a, a ton of new features in desired state configuration. You know, if you looked at it in version one and said, boy, this is looks like a version one, wait till you see what's coming. I mean, <laughs> we have just put, you know, we just, we, we, we saw the fire here and we're pouring jet fuel on this. It's one of our largest investments we have going. Uh, it's caught fire within the company. It's caught fire outside the company. Uh, it's caught fire with the configuration management tool community. Nice. Because what they're looking at is they, they want to build on top of desired state configuration. One, so that they're aligned with the Windows Server strategy. Uh, so that as we go and we get our ecosystem and everyone instrumented to desired state configuration, uh, the products that are aligned with desired state configuration benefit from that and can add value to that. Those guys, there's some guys out there that are trying to do it on their own. They're fighting the Windows Server strategy, as crazy as that sounds. Hmm. That's not a path to happiness. <laughs> I got to pay the bills here, Jeff. Give me one sec, because this podcast, Run As Radio, is brought to you by ScriptRock, the makers of Guardrail. Guardrail lets you discover, track, and monitor your node configurations and detect configuration inconsistency across your entire shop. Guardrail's unique visual difference tester uh, makes it simple and straightforward for your entire team, bringing the power of DevOps into the mainstream. Enter the coupon code RUNASRADIO, which is all one word, and get three months of Guardrail standard. That includes support for up to 50 nodes on Windows, OS X, or any of the Unix flavors and third-party cloud providers. And to top it off, you can export your configurations to Ansible, Puppet, or Docker to make automation a snap. Don't automate what you don't understand. Try Guardrail now at scriptrock.com slash RUNASRADIO. But wait, but wait, wait. What's that? It gets better. Oh? Script Rock? Yes. It layers on top of desired state configuration. Of course they do. They're a smart group of guys. They are. <laughs> I got a demo of it. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, Alan Sharp was on the show just a few weeks ago because I fell in love with the product. I thought it was amazing. And they ended up coming on board as a sponsor to boot, which, I mean, it's, it's lovely for me. But, yeah, I really like this dynamic of you guys are building this underlying part in the form of DSC, and they can build on top of it to create all kinds of flexibility. Exactly. And if you think about it, it, it ScriptRock has a very distinct style. So right now, there's three groups that are doing great work with desired state configuration. Uh, ScriptRock and Guardrail, yep. uh, Aditi's Brewmaster, and Chef, um, and Chef, Opcode Chef. Mm -hmm. And if you think about those, those are three very distinct different approaches to configuration management. And some people like one style, some people like the other. There's yeah. a different set of features. But as a customer, you shouldn't sit there and say, oh, well, this tool can configure this Microsoft product, but that one can't. I really like their style of management, but they don't know how to configure that element, so I guess I can't use them. That's crap. right? What we want to do is we want to say, look, you can man if you're aligned with with the Windows Server strategy, you'll be able to configure anything. So don't choose your tool based upon can it manage this or can it not. If it's aligned, it can manage it. Pick the tool that best manages aligns with your vision of how you want to do configuration management. 
because there's lots of variations there. For sure. And and, and that, that's one of the things I really like about this. It, it's sort of a, I almost feel like it's a byproduct of the open source community too. Is so many folks built things their own way in that space. And we're getting to sort of pick and choose through all these options as they're including Windows as part of the overall suite. Yeah, although, you know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I had a conversation. Uh, people ask, well, why are you doing desired state configuration? And so at DevOps Days Amsterdam, mm-hmm. I gave a pretty short but pretty clear explanation of why we're doing it. Because basically when people ask that, they're really asking, hey, why aren't you doing, uh, why aren't you doing chef or yeah. why aren't you doing guardrail, et cetera. And so I explained how those are Unix-oriented tools, which are really about manipulating documents Mm -hmm. and how that architecture just doesn't really work with the Windows architecture and that's why we have to take this platform approach. But then the question comes up, okay, I can get my head around that of why are you doing that? But then why are you doing desired state configuration for Linux as well? Because we are. (laughs) Why are you doing that, Jeff? And I said, well, there's two answers. First is uh, for System Center, System Center wants to have a uniform approach to be able to manage all the elements of the data center. Right. Uh, and some of those elements are Windows and some of them are Linux, and we want to have a single common stack to manage that. The second thing I said was, if you take a look at the Unix community, the Unix open source community, in reality, it is a food fight uh, amongst ah. various configuration management vendors, <laughs> and none of them are working together to build a common platform so that everyone can benefit. Right. It's completely bizarre. So this, you know, oh, open source, community-minded, blah, blah, blah. And yet they're just throwing food at each other, not trying to move the state forward. So, okay, fine. But we're taking a platform approach. We're open sourcing desired state configuration on Linux. Anybody can use our stuff. Uh, And we just think it's... So in this case, I think you'll find that that we are being more open and more community-minded than some of our open source friends. Well, and this this is real life, right? I mean, the bottom line is there's no data center I walk into that doesn't have a mix of OSs on the server side. That's just life. Sure. And I'd like unified views of them. I'd like a console that takes care of all of them. If that's system center, that's fine. You know, there's a bunch of different ways to go about how I instrument and monitor my systems. But the main thing I look for is can, can you take care of everything I need to look at? Yeah. You know, a lot of people don't, haven't quite fully figured out the ramifications of Azure and what a profound set of implications there are to Azure. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Azure, basically, we want to run the world's applications. Right. We want to run them whether they're Windows. We want to run them whether they're Linux. Mm-hmm. We want to run the world's software on Azure. And so what that means is it's no longer, oh, well, you know, I'm a Windows guy and, you know, I might do something for Linux. No, no, no. We need to make Windows and Linux run great uh, in Azure. Mm-hmm. We need to have a great stack to manage those things. You know, the thing I point out to people is like a couple things to help get in focus. I'll, in, it, in the context of Azure, we'll make more money if you have 10 instances of Linux than if you have two instances of Windows. Sure. Of course, I'd like you to have you know, both. But basically, the key thing is it's volume. Right. And volume really is about eliminating the friction, which is really about making it easy for customers to do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. You want to do all Windows? That's beautiful. You want to do all Linux? That's beautiful. You want to do a mix? That's beautiful. My job's to help you 
do as much computing as easily and simply as possible. Wow. And that is really quite a different story, right? That is, you know, you, your audience should be pinching themselves. Wait, is that the Windows Server architect saying that? Yeah, yeah. Yes, Who's, what company do you work for exactly? Right. Well, Microsoft is a software company. Right. That's the deal. We're a software company. We want to run your applications wherever they are. Yeah, it doesn't matter where it is. You know, if it's running in your data center, there's an opportunity for you. And, and again, it, that it gives me some advantages that I, I can have all my stuff in one place and be able to count on it to be working well. I just fascinated. Yeah. I, I took a quick boo here. It seems like uh, DSC for Linux is in CTP on GitHub. You can just download it or it's just the documentation so far. No, no, no. It's the code. Oh, wow. So yeah. if you want to take it out for a spin, feel free. Pretty exciting stuff, huh? Yeah. This is not, uh, this is not your di- traditional Microsoft. Well, in the days, you know, s- part of the day I wear the .NET Rocks hat and I'm a .NET developer. And so we're getting kind of used to the fact that the dev div guys are doing stuff in GitHub and open source and so forth. But now I got the IT hat on and I'm talking to a distinguished engineer over on the IT side of things. And you guys have stuff in GitHub. Yeah. What are you up to? It's a new world, baby. That's amazing, too. And and that includes one get. I mean, all of these things are here in GitHub. You can go pick them up and work on them any way you want. Yeah, you know, I think that a lot of this comes from the leadership of Sacha, yes. who really does take a, a, a great perspective. What did he say is when he came into the job, he said, this is an industry that does not respect tradition. It only respects innovation, and it respects value, mm-hmm. right? So, like, get out of it. And he challenged each of us, like, get out of your head, get out of your mindset, get out of your traditional way of doing things, and really, really focus in on the customer. You know, I I had a one-on-one with Dave Campbell, one of our technical fellows, great guy. Yeah. And uh, he always has a a kind of common question he asks people. He says, hey, you know, if you had three silver bullets and you could change anything, you know, what would you change? And I thought about that for a second. I said, well, you know, really, there's only one that's that's needed, and it's already been fired. And that is Satya's focus on the customer and the customer usage. You know, if you focus in on the customer using our product, actually using it, being successful with it, uh, loving the product, everything else follows. Um, so that's that's the deal. Nice. Well, and Dave Campbell, I think I've seen him in action before. He was He's one of the sequel gods, right? Exactly. Yep. It's interesting. This, the, yep. You know, that, that viewpoint seems to be permeating the whole company. I would hate to be standing in front of Satya and say something like, well, that's the way we've always done it. Like, that sounds yeah. like instant death. I've seen that happen. It's it's not a, a pretty sight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't Look do that. Self, don't do that. Well, you know, how many times have we been in a conference and you're watching a vendor tell a story of how they have the solution to everything? And as the IT guy, it's like, yeah, your everything is very small compared to my everything. Yes, you are one exactly. piece of my puzzle. And if you don't fit with the other pieces, I can't use you at all. Yep. By the way, it's not to say that we will definitely be continuing and advancing our technology and all that, but it really is just a recognition of exactly what you said, Mm -hmm. that our software is a small portion of the problem that our customers have. That's why I used to, like, 
drum it into my guys' heads. Look, customers don't have a Windows management problem. They don't have a software management problem. They have a management problem. Yeah. And that's why we extended it with the vision of the DAO, the data center abstraction layer. We need to manage not just Windows. We need to manage the physical hardware. We need to manage the network switches. Yes. You don't want to say, oh, I've got this great tool, and it applies to, you know, uh, 5% of my problem or 20% of my problem. You want to say, I've got this great tool that applies to my problem. Yes. You know, so you want to be able to do PowerShell scripting against all your Windows boxes, against all of the devices in your data center, and against all the Linux operating systems. Of course you do. Well, there's an awful lot of dedicated network devices stuff that are running Linux under the hood. So I got to think DSC for Linux sort of opens the door to me being able to administer those things a very similar way. Well, I don't know if you saw, uh, I, if we talked about OMI? Not, not OMI. on this show. Let's go. Oh, okay. Well, exactly what you said. Um, as we are, our interest is in managing all the elements of the data center, mm-hmm. physical and software. Okay. So a lot of those devices are running Linux and we want to have a single common management stack to manage everything so that the tools can, you know, common set of tools to manage everything. So you, we manage Windows using WMI. So we produced an open source implementation of WMI called OMI, Open Management Infrastructure. This thing is super small, super fast. Uh, and then we've worked with partners, and uh, this is running in a number of top-of-rack switches today. So if you buy a, a switch from Arista or uh, Cisco or Huawei, and there's a few more uh, in the pipeline, um, you will find our software, our <laughs> open-source software running WMI, the open implementation of WMI, in those boxes. Wow. Is that crazy or what? That's awesome. Well, and, and <laughs> doesn't the W and WMI stand for Windows? It is. That's why we t- we cut off the W and we added an O. <laughs> O-M-I. <laughs> but indeed, it has WS management. Uh, and in fact, desired state configuration plugs into OMI. Okay. So how are we doing in terms of other folks starting to work with this standard? Can we start looking at some good network switches and routers and things that, that understand OMI? Yeah, yeah, the Cisco, the Aristas, the Huawei's. Uh, in fact, what we have a logo test. So as part of uh, Windows Server 2012, uh, we included network switches as part of the Windows logo testing. Nice. So now when you're got to, about to go out and buy a switch, you want to check for that. And the whole point of that is that, well, when I buy those switches that support those standards, then Windows can be able to manage those things. So we have a set of commandlets. Uh, System Center will be able to find those and manage them. That's nice. Well, because an awful lot of networking has been disappearing, like the hardware side has, because we've switched over to cloud and it's all digital uh, network provision now, which is nice. But And it certainly allows you to manage to a certain degree, but not for everything. So you know, taking care of that hardware is important. What have we missed, Jeff? We've hallooed through so many different things here. Certainly, uh, uh, you know, the whole uh, management framework uh, with uh, N1Get, uh, the new version of DSC in there as well. OMI is cool. Uh, I'm in awe 
It's been a busy year. I got to talk to you more often. We haven't talked much about security. We're doing a ton of work in security. What parts of security? Well, there's a couple things. So I, I give a talk about GIA, Just Enough Administration. Nice. And I start off by saying, hey, uh, let me set the context. So I think I've talked to you in the past and, and mentioned how we go through a pretty rich planning process as we as we as we decide what to invest in, right? Microsoft invests, uh, uh, I think running right now is about $10 billion a year in research and development. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty important that we have a clear point of view about how uh, what we want to do with that $10 billion. So with Windows Server, we have a pretty rigorous planning process, and we have these three streams. One's called the voice of the customer. What are the customers telling us? What are the customers' problems? You know, what are the big issues our customers are facing? The second is called the voice of the business. People go out and say, hey, here's where the markets are going, and here's where the venture capitalists are spending money, and here's where we think it's going to happen in the marketplace. And then there's something called the voice of technology. And I own the voice of the technology. I drive that planning process. And part of that is to take a look and say, what are all the various things going on in the marketplace and technology? And what are the big opportunities we have? Well, a few years ago, I started doing this and thinking through the problem of security. And I saw a number of things that started to upset me or caused me disquiet. And so I investigated them. And I basically came to the conclusion that you know, we, we Microsoft had done a fantastic job over the course of the last 10 or 12 years, starting with Bill's trustworthy computing memo. Mm-hmm. But I started to see a set of things that made me realize that the bad guys were getting better very, very fast. <laughs> the second thing was the introduction or the awareness. They were always there. We just became aware of it, of these nation states with unlimited budgets that were attacking our systems. Now, some people look at that and they'll say, well, look, if the NSA or the Mossad's after us, you know, there's nothing I can do. And I reject that thinking because here's the reality. The reality is that they're finding flaws that really exist. And it's just a matter of timing before the bad guys use the same techniques. And then after them, the script kiddies are going to use it. Yeah, they, they put it into a bot and anybody can download it and take it out for a spin. Exactly. So it really is quite concerning. So basically, these three things made us say, we need to recommit ourselves to security. We need to increase our investments in security and assurance, and we need some new approaches. And so that's what we've been doing. Uh, Assurance was a major pillar of the planning process. And we're now executing on a number of those things. Now, I can't talk about a lot of them, but the one thing I, I'm driving personally I can talk about, and that's this notion of just enough administration. And this is all about saying um, your admins are part of your tax surface. Mm-hmm. And so how do we conf- uh, allow admins to do their job without having administrative privileges? So this is very similar to our back systems of the past, But when you drilled into those, a number of them didn't work from an operational standpoint, and therefore there was a lot of promise, but not necessarily any change on the ground. So what GIA is, is it's a toolkit that uses the particular capabilities of PowerShell and the PowerShell security, along with desired state configuration, to be able to configure endpoints on machines that allow you to not have admin privileges, but to connect to particular machines 
and then run a well-defined set of tools and a toolkit uh, that then run with elevated privileges. Nice. So uh, the other thing that we're doing here is we're taking an assumed breach position. So in the past, what we did was we're largely focused, potentially exclusively focused in on protecting the system. Keep the bad guys out. Keep the bad guys out. Keep the bad guys out. We're going to continue to do that, and we're going to do that even more so. But we've introduced, we've added something new, and that is assume that we've been breached. Now what? Right. How am I going to find out that I got breached? How am I going to understand what the ramifications of the breach are? How am I going to contain it? And how do I remediate it? And so we've got a whole big effort there. Now, I want to be clear about this. This it really is the start of another 10-year approach. Uh, effort, you know, recommitment to security. This isn't a silver bullet, uh, but where there's substantial investment and some very innovative things going on in this area. I found your white paper, and this looks like serious reading. And it, and it, of course, obviously refers to desired state configuration fairly significantly. But I like the whole idea of constrained endpoints. Just what do you need the server to do? Why has it got anything else in it? Right, and then and then I log everything. Yeah. And then as we did that, we found, hey, our logging isn't as good as it should be. Mm-hmm. There are certain uh, code paths that allow people to do things that can't be logged. Fix that. When you do do things as uh, using these run as endpoints, I need to log the fact that, it, you know, what the credentials were for, you know, who ran things, but then also how they connected. So now we've increased the the data in those things. Uh, and we've also uh, set up what we call ubiquitous transcription. So there's logging, which is very good for big data. You know, it goes in the event log, you got, you know, properties and values. But then there's transcripts. I don't know if you've ever used a PowerShell transcript. It basically captures everything that you type and everything that gets output, and it'll go to a file. And now what you'll be able to do is you'll be able to say, hey, on these systems, these systems are really secure or need to be really secure. I'm going to set up ubiquitous transcription, which says when anybody comes in and uses PowerShell, everything that they do will automatically be uh, recorded, both what they typed and what was output, and that'll be put into a system uh, directory. Nice. And then, of course, you can encrypt that information and transmit it encrypted, et cetera. So lots of work going on in the, in the area of assurance mm-hmm. to make sure that people can, you know, compute uh, and, and be safe doing so. But, you know, this is, it feels like almost a byproduct of this configuration as code mentality that you're outlining exactly what you want the system to do and nothing more. Yep. And I just think that's, that's much more powerful that we don't, we have a lot less creep that way that we only are running the things we absolutely need to run. Yeah, you know, often I, I've always felt that the number one problem of of uh, software quality was people being unclear about the states of their software. Mm-hmm. You know, you, the way you, good software understands their states, they understand what state they're in, they understand what state they want to get to, and they either get there or they stay in the state that they are. Nice. And these techniques are various ways of achieving that. And if something goes wrong in the middle, just blow it away and start over go back yep. to that original state jeff it's always so much fun to talk to you i could go on for hours but i think we're already long thank you thank you for your time yeah it was a blast so i encourage everybody 
to pick up the latest software and engage with us. This really is the time where you can tell us stuff. Like after we ship in the operating system, you can tell us stuff and we can add things. That's add, but changing things means I break people. We're at a stage now where because uh, that's the explicit contract, mm-hmm. you can tell us stuff and we can break it to make it right. And know so. for sure what's going on. It does seem like it's a lot easier to interact with the folks at Microsoft as well and see what they're doing, where they're going. All of this participation in the open source side gives us channels of communication and a chance to see the roadmap really clearly. Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey Stover, thank you for coming on the show. My pleasure. And we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio. Mm-hmm.